We're happy to be partnered with Los Alamitos for their winter meet running December 9th through the 18th. The stakes action is strong with the Grade 1 Starlet on Saturday, December 10th for two-year-old fillies going a mile and a 16th, as well as the Grade 2 Los Al Futurity for two-year-old males at the same distance the following weekend, December 17th. Also on December 10th, it is the quarter horse champion of champions with quite possibly the best, most competitive field ever assembled. Last year's world champ, Danger, defending champion, Apolitical Pence, and current standouts, Bomb Cyclone and Impressum are set to clash. We're happy to bring you continued Los Al coverage on these airwaves and over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. Hello and welcome to a special edition. It's not really a special edition. It's just a regular old edition of the In the Money Players podcast. It's a little special because PTF, your host, is far from the Brooklyn Bunker out in Tucson, Arizona at the Racetrack Industry Program Symposium. Having a good time out here and uh, very excited to bring you some news from here. Today was the first day of panels. I, I haven't caught up on everything I wasn't able to see, but mostly working in the room so far, but excited to present tomorrow and talk to a bunch more people. It really is like the industry winter meetings. And today's guest is going to be helping look back at racing from the weekend, was with me out here last year. This year, uh, schedules did not, uh, did not allow, but he's making the most of his time because he uh, won a handicapping contest recently and not the one he usually wins. This one, uh, this one in Texas. I'm speaking about a man whose work you read over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. Joins me on these airwaves from time to time. He's Nick Tamaro. Nick, what's going on? I'm doing great, my friend. Glad to uh, be with you, even if I'm not there in Tucson. And actually, the contest that you were referring to that I sometimes win was won by our friend Marshall Graham, who is with you this weekend. <laughs> so there's it all, it all comes correct. That's the Naira contest, the, the $300 Naira contest on Saturdays. They keep those running right throughout the winter, or do they take a break now that the, the big day is? No, that's it. I think that's it until March. So okay. um, I think Donnie is regrouping for 2024. He, um, he sent me a note a couple of weeks ago just looking for some feedback, and so I think they'll be back, uh, back in the mix. I think they started last year around mid-March, mid yeah, to late March, yeah. or somewhere yeah. Is it possible he was talking to you about naming the contest after you for the success you've had? He better not. <laughs> yeah, you might have to be banned from playing then. But the contest yeah. you won over the weekend, Lone Star Park, that's pretty cool. What did you uh, – What? How? now it's obviously Texas racing and everything going on there. I mean, it must change the way a contest plays out with having, you know, not having national simulcast money in there. Did that change your approach, and, and how did you get the job done? Well, so it was a simulcast contest because there's no the only live going on right now at, at Lone Star is Quarter Horses. So, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, yeah, it covered uh, six races at Aqueduct, six races at Gulfstream, a uh, couple of races at Fairgrounds in Del Mar, and a little bit of Woodbine, who ended up canceling. And so, Brandon, who is our friend at Lone Star, structured it similarly to the way he does the uh, the live contests. And there was an early race period. And in that early race period, you had to bet your entire bankroll. And then you had to come back and bet at least half of your uh, your bankroll in the late race period. So I ended up in first after the early race period. And uh, Trey Stiles, who I was sitting with, who, of course, is my my partner on uh, Sharpie time at Sam Houston. Yep. Uh, he was in second. And by the time we were going into the last race, Trey was still in second. But he was in second to Carl Broberg, who I couldn't allow to win 
And uh, so my last race wager worked out and I vaulted past both of them and turned a thousand into 8,500 plus the prize. That's beautiful. So very good, very good work there. Trey, a real uh, NHC veteran. I don't know that anybody's really qualified more times than him. It's, uh, I think I literally no one has qualified more than Trey. He sent me a list and Trey's a big dork. And, and so he, I knew he would love this, but, um, and he admitted it on Saturday and I knew it already, but I said to him, where, how many different places have you qualified? And so he sent me a list on Sunday and it is, it is quite a list. I mean, there are some places on there. There are at least five or six places on there that are closed. And, um, and, and it's, 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 there are some places on there that you wouldn't think ever even had contests, let alone qualified at them. Like the Valley dog track, Santa Fe casino, um, Ratama, Sunland. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. When I wrote an article about him many years ago for, uh, for, for DRF, I used the conceit of uh, Odysseus and, uh, and, and the Odyssey for all the far flung places he had traveled to qualify. And that was probably six years ago. And I don't think he's missed an NHC since. So it's a great, that's a great story. And uh, does he, I, I assume he's going back double barreled or, or is he, is he still one shy? Yeah, he's double barreled. He's actually fifth in the uh, tour right now. So he's had a oh, wow. particularly strong year. Yeah. He's uh, I, I think he's probably in the mix to get in the top five. Um, which I think carries a pretty decent sized prize. So yeah, he's pretty, he's pretty excited about that going all the way back to our live racing season. He qualified online pretty quickly. I think a couple times, and then he had a live score at Lone Star in May and, um, and has just built on it a little bit since then. So he ended up third on Saturday, which it was, there were only 51 entries. So I'm not sure how much he, um, how much, he, how many points he gained from it, but, you know, without going into a, a great amount of detail on it, I do think there could be a couple of people out there who find this interesting, but I do think that I've learned in 2022, what my price comfort, my price point comfort zone is. And it's definitely in these, you know, 200 to $1,000 tournaments. Um, You know, that's still, I'm a little bit more comfortable being all in early at that level. And, um, and so I, I really am going to try and construct my calendar to really uh, capitalize on that as much as possible. Because Hawthorne, uh, places like Hawthorne, we've talked about New York, yeah. you know, the Texas contest, the, the, those those seem to be um, ones like that. I mean, Monmouth would be stretching it a little bit, but it's such a good opportunity that I, I'd recommend you taking a look at that. The pick your prize, you know, two yeah, which is a thousand. Also, I mean, it's two thousand, but you have a thousand dollar bankroll, so it's not you know it's not horrible in that respect. But um, yeah, I mean the you know the Arlington contest I used I did well in back in the day was two thousand, but you had to bet a thousand on Arlington, so that was okay. You know, I'm just more of a momentum type of player. I I am gonna gonna kind of construct my wagers so that I have to hit a few times in order to get there. I don't have that quick strike ability. You know, we mentioned earlier that Marshall won the Cigar Mile contest. And he was all in in the Demoiselle, which is a race we'll talk about a little bit later. But, you know, that was to the tune of, of like $4,000 between two entries. It worked. So, you know, it worked out. But that's just a little bit out of my comfort zone. Not for everybody. Yeah, right. it's not for everybody. We, we, I was talking on an, Indelf, an Adelphi racing investor call uh, today. We were talking all about contests. And that was the point I, you know, I make over and over again is you got to find the comfort zone for you and what's going to work for one player isn't going to work for another. I think it's silly to come on and be too, you know, didactic and, and, and say, Oh, well, this is the only format that's any good. Like, no, it just, right, it absolutely. 
depends on you and your wagering format. And that's smart work that you've been doing and you, it shows in your success. And it's the way that I think other people who are interested in contests, which I think should be just about every horse player at this point, you got to go through that, uh, got to go through that same exercise. Well, let's dive into some of these races from the weekend. Um, before we get into a long uh, side conversation about Texas racing that unfortunately is like kind of in a hurry up and wait situation at this point, we certainly hope to be back covering them this year. We, we may have to take a year off. We'll see how that all plays out uh, vis-a-vis Heisa and everything else. But for now, I say we get to uh, the big race on Sunday. I actually only went to Del Mar for one race on Sunday. I rolled in. I eventually, I just couldn't construct tickets that I felt good about because I was so spready. In the first two legs, I decided I was just going to show up and bet the matriarch. And boy, did Regal Glory put on a show, Nick. I was just so impressed. You know, obviously, the the longtime leader backing up probably exaggerated the quality of Regal Glory's run. But it was still arresting. And she was in her own race. And everybody else was just running per second. I was impressed with her. She ends up with a buyer speed figure of 100 and she ends her career on a nice note is it a nice enough note to be in the conversation for an eclipse award do you think it feels like she should be a finalist um it feels like the three finalists should be her and her stablemate in italian and likely tuesday who did win the, the breeders cup philly and mare turf regal glory has the uh the the two grade one win three grade one wins rather I, three grade one wins yeah yeah she won the jenny wiley um she won the Just a Game, obviously, and she won the Matriarch. And she knocked heads with a lot of really good horses throughout the year, Pete. And I think that matters. You know, she take she took on males a couple times. She did she was was one and one head to head against an Italian. And um, and I think that ultimately winning that matriarch, look, I mean, she laid over that field on paper. And and you know what? She looked like it in the stretch, too. I mean, she did exactly what she was supposed to do. She made absolute mincemeat of that field. And, you know, you kind of wondered for a second if uh, if Hamwood Flyer and that that rather you know ambitious set of tactics employed by Mike Smith might bottom the field out a little bit. But Regal Glory just showed that class prevails on the turf pretty often. And uh, and she was awesome. It was really, really nice to see, especially for a you know for a mayor that really has been at a high level for four years now. You know, she won the Lake George as a three year old in uh, in 2019 had the misfortune of running into some better stablemates in 2020 and credit to Peter Brandt for bringing her back as a five-year-old. And then she was supposed to be retired after last year. And after winning the Pegasus world cup, Philly and mare turf was given a chance at one more campaign. So I've enjoyed watching Regal glory. I think she's really nice. And uh, here's to, to her being a productive broodmare. We're going to have an eclipse award show. And I think we're going to do it early this year because I know Jay Priven's excited to come on and, and give some of his thoughts. And we thought rather than do it right before the awards, doing it while people were still mm-hmm. voting actually might make a little bit more sense. Maybe we can, you know, we know a lot of people who have votes do listen. So, uh, you know, that, that might be, that might be fun. And, and I think it's one of, it's one of the more interesting debates, I think, but I think there's definitely a, a cogent case to be made for, uh, for Regal Glory based on the, all that grade one success, though. In Italian, certainly no slouch either. I, you know, I didn't really prep you for this question, but do you know which way your vote would go at this point? I think I would take the Jenny, the Pegasus World Cup, Philly and Mare Turf, the Jenny Wiley, the Just a Game, the runner-up in the four-star Dave, the runner-up in the First Lady, and the win in the Matriarch would be my, that would be my Eclipse award-winning campaign. I think that's right. I mean, it it ain't a bad one that an Italian had, starting with the uh, the Honey Fox. Well, I mean, that would be what that would be Honey Fox. Well, that would actually be uh, 
Hillsborough, I think, Honey Fox. Um, didn't she win at Tampa? No, no, no. That was Bleecker Street. Sorry. Yeah, she scrapped. She yeah, was the, supposed to run in the Endeavor, and she scrapped. Right, those Peter Brandt silks, you know, on, on so many <laughs> Philly and mares on the turf. But, um, yeah, so so Honey Fox, Diana, first lady with, with a head-to-head over Regal Glory, second in the Breeders' Cup. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a guy who would rather reward a, a bigger body of work. Yeah. I mean, not to get on a not to get on an Eclipse Award conversation, but I would prefer that. It's like this three-year-old stuff's killing me. It's, it's I like it's making my eyes burn when I read some of the stuff about the three-year-old Eclipse Award is a one-horse race. It is if you're not voting for Epicenter, you're being like a cheeky wise ass that <laughs> that just doesn't really. I, I don't know what you're doing with your vote. I, I don't give a shit that he won one Grade One, right? It doesn't. If you don't think that the Jim Dandy was a Grade One caliber race. I don't care what grade was next to it. There are plenty of grade ones that were undeserving. So Cyberknife's Arkansas Derby was better. Come on. Right. Come on. And, and not to mention the best three-year-old prep, arguably, of the entire season was the Risen Star. Right? Where he beats in. Smile happy. You know, those were horses that were on the up by that point. He won the Travers decisively over all those horses. He beat Taba and everybody else in the Kentucky Derby. You know, obviously, it's very unfortunate what happened in the Breeders' Cup. But the only way, and you and I had this conversation, the only way he was getting supplanted to me was if Taba won that race. That was it. And Taba didn't win. No, he did not. And I'm, I mean, I have gone on these airwaves before and said, I'm not the type when it comes to eclipse balloting who wants to necessarily argue who was best in races. But I think when it's this open, the fact that in my view, Epicenter was best in the Derby and the Preakness just pushes him into a, a category of his Absolutely. own. Yeah. And I mean, that's Absolutely. why that's why we vote for these awards and we don't have just rigid quite criteria to award points is to promote discussions like this and allow us to bring ideas to the fore when they when we think they matter i think in 22 2022 they matter very i haven't seen if jay has commented on this on twitter i have a feeling he'll be with us but it'll be interesting to find out hey we may have to rope you in for that conversation as well just because no good deed goes unpunished around here let's what all of this stuff is fodder for people like me and you (laughs) it's it's you know it's it's why we have uh it's why we have horse racing pot absolutely no reason to shy away from it so now I want to talk to you about a race that frustrated the heck out of me because after the fact, I felt like I should have had a backup line on the on the winner because of how much, um, how, how more or less how right I was in the rest of the sequence. And I don't feel like I'm just completely inappropriately red boarding because we did shows about um, Del Mar on Saturday. But I, I whiffed on speaking scout and – after the race, I, I went back and, and it was just it was one of these ones where I was like at the price, given who was up. Yeah, maybe I maybe I shouldn't have trusted. Maybe I shouldn't have trusted with quite so much. And, and maybe I should have had my eyes open to the possibility of this uh, of this horse getting the job done. In the end, it was a 90 buyer speed figure for this uh, Graham motion trainee. Always good to have him ha- see him and that operation have success at the grade one level. I just I just landed on the wrong one. What did you think of speaking scout in the Hollywood Derby in general? Yeah, I was in a remarkably similar boat. I um, I was handicapping the race and and I watched the replay of the Twilight Derby and I was much more taken with Cabo Spirit's effort than speaking scout. But, you know, the the mitigating circumstance was and I think this was it was tough to envision they were going to go as slow early as they did, because it felt like, if anything, the only reason why Evan Harlan was in that race 
was to separate the field a little bit. And, you know, with due respect to Evan Harlan's connections, I think Graham Motion knew that both speaking scout and script were going to be helped by Evan Harlan going faster. And it just so happened that Evan Harlan's jockey was much more conservative on the front end that really packed that field together. It completely, after his poor break from the gate, I mean, it completely ruined Celestial City, who didn't get a very good ride anyway. And it obviously hurt the chances of a horse like Wit, who was probably a little bit farther back than he needed to be. I do think there was some concern about Wit's ability to handle nine furlongs going in and coming out. Um, not so much coming out, I think, is going in because he really ran, he ran very well. So it was just a situation where speaking scout being a mid-pack closer actually ended up with the run of the race. You know, and he got the split when he needed to. Um, he got a very good ride. I, I will I will admit that uh, I have often spoken about my complete inability to be successful betting on Southern California racing, but I bet almost every race at Del Mar, and I've followed the racing very, very closely, and Juan Hernandez is outstanding. I mean, he's yeah. very, very good, uh, very good on the turf, much better on the turf than I anticipated. He's a very strong finishing rider, and he gave the horse a great ride. It was it was a it was a very very solid performance. You know, look, do I think this horse is is potentially a Grade One four year old? He's going to have to get better, but you know, it doesn't mean that he doesn't have some upside. And I would imagine that that Grand Motion will put him on the fast track to being in some of the major races in this division next year. It was a huge race because I like sounded like you were too. Kind of wanted to give Wit an excuse for being a little too far back for being theoretically against the, the flow given the pace but speaking scout was behind him so yeah. it's not just like it was i mean yes hernandez gave a great ride he knew what he had under and produced the run at the perfect time but it's not like it's it, i mean the the horse deserves all the credit in the world for this i mean it's not like i mean you i hear what you're saying when you're talking about the the, the run of the race but i mean this was i think there might be some like hidden improvement even more so than what you're going to see on on the bare form and we'll we'll see how good this uh eclipse thoroughbred partners runner can get but i i was i he wasn't gifted anything i thought it was very very impressive no right i mean and i think you know i think in saying the run of the race you know my reference is more to the fact that he was positioned ideally from a pace perspective uh, based on where things happen but he also got he, every time he needed something to happen in terms of, of anything trip related, it happened. Right. So, you know, he was, it, and you have to have some athleticism. You have to have some ability to get yourself into position to enjoy that. I think that's very well put. All right. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about uh, the big races at Naira over the weekend. But first we have a message from a sponsor. It pays to race Maryland breads in Maryland right now at Laurel Park. Maryland Breads Racing and Open Overnight Races receive a 15% owner bonus and a 15% developer bonus for finishing first, second, or third. In addition, Maryland Breads in $45,000 maiden claiming races are eligible to waive the claiming price. There's no better time to breed and race in Maryland, and you can learn more about the advantages of breeding and owning Maryland Breads at MarylandThoroughbred.com. Peter Thomas Fornital back with you, joined by Nick Tamara. We talked a little bit about the grade 1s out on the West Coast at Del Mar, where I had the pleasure of being on Saturday. We will now pivot and talk about the last big day in New York of the year, which is Cigar Mile Day, now moved from its traditional Thanksgiving weekend position on the calendar to be in the first weekend of December. First of all, what do you think of that change in general? Do you, do you have an opinion on it one way or another that this the big weekend in New York is, is now uh, a little bit later in the year? I think now that the Breeders' Cup has pretty much committed to the first weekend in November, it was a necessity um, because having horses come back in three weeks was just not going to – it was never going to happen. I will admit, though, that I wonder how often it's going to happen in four weeks 
right? It's just not, you know, it's, we're not seeing connections run horses back at this level this quickly. And, you know, this is two years in a row now where the, uh, the, the favorite was a horse that, um, I believe it's two years in a row now. The years run together at times, but uh, the favorite has been a horse that, that pretty much was routed through a prep and a non-Breeders' Cup situation. It was so, right. Nest in the, dem- the, 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 or you're talking about the big one. Yeah, I'm talking about Amer- American Revolution obviously was in a New York bred race. Yes. Um, now, following C did run in the Breeders' Cup and came back and ran extremely well in the, uh, in the cigar. So, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's altogether possible for a horse to be in the Breeders' Cup and be in the Cigar Mile, but I just think it's going to be a little bit less likely. And so Naira has positioned some stakes races that can be used as preps, like the Bold Ruler and the Kelso. But, um, you know, look at the Clark, right? The Clark has probably suffered a, you know, a, a kind of a difficult fate being three weeks after, being only 20 days after the Breeders' Cup Classic. And I think this year's field would kind of, of give you that look. So, you know, I want the Cigar to be a good race year in and year out. I think it's an important stallion-making race. And um, this year's field was a little bit more of the Cigarillo mile than the Cigar mile. <laughs> it, was, it was maybe the Alex Hassinger version of Cigar, more so than the Bill <laughs> Oh, running on turf as a three-year-old in, uh, in California. Yeah, it, it, uh, it, it wasn't, the, the, wasn't the, a, a race that you dream of. But we'll get there. Let's start off with the Demoiselle that uh, for the second year in a row was won by a uh, highly touted Curlin AP Indy cross trained by Todd Pletcher. Julia Shining didn't look like to me she was going to win halfway through the race, prevailed on her class. I can't shake the idea, though, Nick, that this is one. as Look, she may stuff me in a locker, but I, I feel like the right move is going to probably be to try to beat her as her competition gets faster. I mean, this was a race where a maiden was a good second. Um, what did you think of Julia shining overall? Am I, am I underrating her? Or are you excited to maybe try to take her on next time? No, it's actually the third year in a row that a Curlin won because her full sister Malatha won it two years ago. That's right. So, uh, you know, Indy cross is strong. Of course. Right. Dale Romans joked years ago that he had a friend who told him that he could make a thousand dollar suit look like trash. And my point in bringing that up is that Luis Saez is a jockey with a style that can make any horse look like they're working very, very hard. He's obviously a very strong guy for his size, and he uses his arms. Julia Shining is a horse that has to be ridden pretty much nonstop. So she was under a ride for basically eight furlongs, right? She went extremely wide on both turns and down the backstretch. I think it's pretty clear she's a filly that doesn't really like taking a lot of dirt. She likes to be in the clear. Um, it and this is for coming from somebody who cashed on the exacta. I never thought I was winning that bet. I, I thought it, it was until the final probably 30 yards that I thought there was actually a chance. You know, Pete, for my money, horses like that that you have to really, really ride and they never really accelerate and they just outlast everybody. I have a hard time taking them moving forward. The other thing about this race is it was slow. You know, she got a 70 buyer. She was over two seconds slower than the Remsen. And, and we're going to learn a little bit more about the Remsen horses moving forward. I will, I will say, David Aragona this afternoon tweeted something I thought was very interesting. There have been 80, the, the top buyer speed figure around two turns amongst Phillies at this point is an 85. There have been a grand total of three buyer speed figures of over 90 for two-year-old Phillies in 2022. There have been 28 
buyer speed figures of over 90 among two-year-old Colts. I wonder if Lasix has a little something to do with it uh, or not being, not being able to use it. I know Paul Matisse, of course, whose opinion I respect a great deal has brought this up a little bit in the, uh, you know, in the not so distant past. And uh, because they're, these, these are really slow numbers. You know, these are, these are not impressive numbers. And you kind of figured when they, when they came across the line that it was a race where it was like, Oh, you know, she's got talent, but and I also thought it was interesting that Todd Pletcher came out and said he was going to run her in the Sun Coast, which is at Tampa. So, I mean, in Tampa is a place where it looks like every horse is under a ride with five furlongs to go. So you might just see Saez like pumping away right out of the gate, right? He just might ride her the entire way. So, you know, my thought at this point is that she's obviously very good. She is likely to get better, just as her sister Malathad did. But you're supposed to be planning on betting against her in her first couple of spots as a three-year-old. I didn't even realize the figure was as low as that 70 when I was saying that. So yeah, that, 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 uh, that takes anything potentially clever out of that idea probably and pushes it and pushes it to the side. Well, remember this is a Philly that's always going to have hype, right? She's always going to have that sexy pedigree. She's two for two. Now she had a massive trouble line in her debut. So, I mean, you're, she's going to be something to five wherever she shows up and boy, I mean, I hope we can find somebody that's maybe a little, little quicker, to the punch and maybe he's got some speed that can outfoot her at a place like Tampa. Yeah. We'll uh, be following that story as the calendar turns. It could be interesting. I think at this point uh, last year, you and I would have been talking about trying to beat nest, you know, and we saw, you know, obviously- I think nest was a complete joke after her. <laughs> <laughs> back and ended up in. Okay. So we'll see. I will, I will admit, I have a friend that after she won uh, the race at Tampa, which I, I think was the sun coast, uh, he, I, he tweeted and said that, you know, there were all these good two, three-year-old fillies, et cetera, et cetera. And he included Nest. And I replied and said, Nest, LOL. So <laughs> I've been, I've been a, a big, I was a big Nest detractor from the beginning. But Nest is going to probably win the Eclipse Award next year as because all the good fillies are retiring for the most part. But, um, yeah. He got the last LOL on you with, uh, with, with that one. There's no, there's no. Yeah, uh, I've been enough on Malathot to at least feel good about it in the distaff, though. That's right. That's right. You, 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 there was not that it was a bad effort. The glory. <laughs> Let's talk about WNL. This was one that uh, appeared to be suited by the stretch out to a mile and eighth. Made no mistake. And as you pointed out, two seconds faster. This one came back nice on the clock with the 90 buyer speed figure. Perfect trip under Jose Ortiz for the uh, the son of, of good magic. This is a horse that I remember just liking. I don't. I remember liking physically before the debut, and I remember hearing some whispers that he that he might have some talent. He's a Grade Two winner now. Do you think he's a horse that looks like he might train on? I'll tell you, I'm very surprised he took to the distance as well as he did, right? Wild Gams was a really fleet-footed sprinter for Ben Perkins uh, for the new farm, and she produced Casadero. Um, was her best foal to race so far. She produced another sprinter. So really there was nothing in the pedigree to indicate to you that this horse is going to get better around two turns. Maybe other than believing good magic could be a big topside distance influence. And I learned in re- reading, uh, I, I think it was Byron King's recap, W-H-N-L. That's how they want the horse's name pronounced. Oh, really? Okay. I said W-N-L as well. And, and I, I think John and Brielle did. I didn't listen to the call. But yeah, W-H-N-L, I guess it's the the first initials of the ownership or something, which, and they also have a great set of silks. I, I, I know I've seen this, uh, this group has horses with Ray Handel as well. Um, but yeah, good, you know, it was a good solid workmanlike effort. Um, I, I think the biggest takeaway I had from it in the beginning was, uh, you know, I love Jose Lascano. I'm a big Jose Lascano fan. Dude, look forward, man. 
stop, don't turn around. Like, don't, there's nothing, you turn around, you realize what's gaining on you, right? If you just stick to the task, you probably end up keeping your horse a little bit more focused. And I think Arctic Arrogance is a really nice New York bred. And, 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 you know, this race came back solid 90 for uh, the Remsen, I think is a good figure. Um, nobody's complaining about the Remsen now after uh, Mo Donegal and, and Zandon ran one, two last year, it's like racing's whipping boy of great at stakes. So, you know, I always want to see it, it go well. So I, I, I was surprised by it and, and I did not like the winner going in particularly. Um, Mike was talking to Jack Jenkins in the morning and, and he told me, that uh, he really liked the horse. And so I threw him in for a bit. Um, I don't think I hit anything, but, but, you know, it was good to, to uh, see him end up kind of taking a step forward. Of course, the issue with his next start will be, I think there's two issues. I think Danny Gargan certainly wins at a high percentage, um, but he's had horses that have been kind of good two-year-olds in the past. They really didn't go on, or at least it took him a while. That's number one. What is he going to do kind of with a good horse? And obviously we want to see it on a dry surface too. So that's going to be kind of the, the two things that we probably look for in his first start as a three-year-old. Questions remain for sure. For me, it was not a pedigree angle on the distance, though Good Magic did raise that as a possibility. It was more just, I just liked the way he stuck on on the tape in, in the first two races. And even that first race, you know, that was a fat, that was so fast, that instant coffee race in Saratoga. I thought that was kind of a very good race that he, that he backed up. And then, of course, when the rain came, it also became a lot easier to embrace him off, off that slop maiden special late win. But yeah, exactly. I mean, we, and, and I think, uh, you know, people talk in many cases sort of erroneously about this eye test. And I think you actually were supposed to apply the eye test to, uh, to WHNL in seeing that he really, when he hit his stride and his maiden win, he really uncoiled nicely and was extending himself quite a bit. And, you know, horses don't necessarily always know their pedigree when they get on the racetrack. So, just because, you know, smart asses like me say, how is a horse out of wild gams going to go nine furlongs? Doesn't mean that they're really going to be inhibited at all. So, yeah, it was nice to see. I mean, this is a race where obviously this time of year when you have exciting two-year-olds, it's fun, right? I mean, it makes the Derby Trail that much more interesting from day one. Bob Baffert's got about 20 of them out on the West Coast. And, you know, there's clearly a few on the East Side, too. We're going to have more coverage than ever, too, on the Triple Crown. I have this vision of maybe trying to have continuously updating profiles on the, the, the two-year-olds we think are going to be part of the Triple Crown races. You know, maybe we'll sort by speed figure and start doing that. And the WHNL, you know, I think yeah, on the resume has to be uh, among the number of ones we'll be tracking at first. I think the name, now that I hear the name, I think it sounds like call letters. It's like a radio station in Louisville or something that, you know, has a lot of horse racing content. You've tuned into WHNL. We're ready for the power hour. <laughs> I love it. Let's talk briefly, at least, about the Gopher Wand, the next stakes uh, up, grade three action one in wire to wire fashion by Dr. B. I was with uh, Bank Sting in uh, in this one, um, though Dr. B certainly made sense. Bit of uh, not quite a full on merry-go-round, but, uh, but, but close enough in this one. What were your thoughts coming out of it? You know, the Gopher one's a funny race, Pete. This is the third year in a row it yielded a massive lifetime top speed figure for the winner. And uh, in 2020, it was New York Red Sharp Star. In 2021, it was uh, Lady Rocket. And this year, it ended up being Dr. B. And I just wonder, I wonder if maybe those horses were at the right stage of their form cycle, maybe a little deeper into the year, they were doing a little bit better. Lady Rocket and Dr. B have two similarities. Irad Ortiz Jr. wrote both, and they both... Uh, took advantage of a front end trip 
And, and Irad put a great ride on Dr. B. When Battle Bling didn't break well, it was probably always going to be hard for Battle Bling to keep up with Dr. B early. But Irad was very decisive. He put her on the lead and, and he ended up parlaying that into a victory that earned him the all-time record for graded stakes. So congratulations to him. Um, you know, for somebody like me and, and somebody like you and a lot of our listeners that really follow New York racing on a regular basis. Of course, Irad pisses me off regularly, but his talent will never be. I'll never discount that. I mean, he is an immensely talented guy, um, if not a little frustrating at times. But, you know, we're all a little frustrating at times. So <laughs> nice win for Dr. B. And uh, always fun to see those Cassius King Silks do well going back to a fleet Alex now many years ago. 103 buyer speed figure it was for Dr. B. Yeah, big, 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 big number there. And uh, yeah, she gets the job done in, in impressive fashion, winning by over four. And that is a great, glad you mentioned the IRAD story. How many, how many wins was it? How, how many wins did he end up with in 2022? I think it's 77 graded stakes. It's, it's insane. That's yeah, insane. It, it, so it broke Gomez's record. Um, the late Garrett Gomez, of course, who, uh, you know, we lost definitely too soon and who, you know, you and I and, and a lot of people out there had the pleasure of watching ride for a number of years. And and when he uh, when Ron Anderson took his book, I think in 2006 or seven, his career just really took off. And um, it's obviously troubling to see anyone who struggles like Garrett Gomez did. But and I read I saw an interview mentioned, you know, Gomez specifically and, and how great he was and how he learned, you know, from watching him and stuff and then i think rosario almost broke it last year i think he was two or three shy he got hurt late in the year and i think that's what kept him from breaking it now there are more graded stakes now than there have ever been before so you know this feels like a record that's just going to continue to get broken sort of year in and year out much like the money record because they're they're just riding for more money than they ever have before but i think the number was 77 that's my yeah Yeah, i thought it sounded it sounded too high, so I double checked it real quick there, and you're exactly right. Seventy seven wins. I mean, you figure a guy like I read is probably riding two hundred and forty to two hundred and fifty days a year. Take off the month of December, so there's been about three hundred and thirty days. He's probably ridden about two hundred and twenty. The guy's winning a graded stake every three days. <laughs> pretty pretty damn good. Yeah, that's incredible. Something something to consider. Though many of the things, I don't think too many. I mean, yeah, there's certain things tactically that might make you crazy in a given spot. But I think, you know, it, when, when you talk about your issues with him for the, for the uninitiated, uh, sometimes he, you know, I, I think it's, it could be a little bit reckless, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, look, I, I think he plays the game aggressively. You know, I, I think that there's always an obligation to um, to do what you can that you think you can get away with. And, you know, Irad is a guy that has been allowed to ride very aggressively in the New York colony, and he has not been punished for it. And so really, it would be foolish of him to not take advantage of that. So, you know, do I think he probably goes a little over the edge at times? Yeah, but I mean, this isn't choir practice, right? I mean, he's supposed to he's supposed to take advantage of everything. And, and you know, I will say that there is a certain confidence that you have betting on a horse that he rides that you probably don't have with very many jockeys out there right now. The problem is that the public is just in love with the guy. Yeah. I mean, the betting for edge. that, any edge you get with him, you definitely do pay for. Yeah. You're, you're paying a premium on his mount that you're just, I mean, you and I have seen guys over the years whose horses were always a click or two lower, right? I mean, going all the way back to depending on what track he was riding up, a pad day was, 
you know, was slammed at Churchill Downs and Oaklawn. And Jerry Bailey was always going to be a little bit shorter in New York and Ramon Dominguez, especially in the winter. But Irad, it's, it's happening wherever he goes and it's happening at just an incredibly high rate. So we'll see if it uh, maybe all the CAWs have baked in an IRAD factor. <laughs> it could be it could, the, the the success is enough that it wouldn't shock me if it like uh, if it if it t- comes out in the in the in the signal because it's not like his ROIs are like embarrassingly off to a way where you'd ever say oh I'm not I mean good luck to the person who says oh I'm not going to ever play him you know I just for me as a player I just really if there's any question about the horse and he's on it. I'd like I'd like to be well maybe a deep saver or maybe leave out entirely. But if I, if I love the horse, I mean you can't you can't just oppose him on principle because of the factor the, the crowd factor that we're talking about, can you? No, if you're just blindly opposing him, you better make sure they keep the soup warm at the soup kitchen. <laughs> right? He's not, he's going to win way too much for you to stay afloat. Um, and and believe me, I'm as much of a contrarian and and outside the box or attempted outside the box thinker as possible. So I'm always looking to be extra critical of his mounts, but the guy just wins relentlessly. And, um, and I think categorically uh, omitting or dismissing his horses is just a big mistake. Now I do think that like with some of the high percentage trainers whose horses take a little bit more money, you really need to consider every alternative when you think you can take them on. And, and there might be a lot of value there as well. And, and that happened actually on a daily basis at Aqueduct the last couple of weeks, there were, there were a few favorites that uh, there was a Danny Gargan horse in a race where, uh, where Richard Migliori liked the one, two finishers on Friday. I think it was race seven. I rode the horse and the horse went off six to five. He never ran a step. And and that horse was probably six to five because of Irad. He's probably five to two if you, you know, mark out Irad and write in Jose. And those are situations where you can really take advantage because a lot of value was created elsewhere. Absolutely. When you can find a reason to take the horse on, just get get more aggressive. And get on board. All right. Let's talk about the race that gives the day its name, the Cigar Mile. Great story here. And I'll tell you what, the mind control from Going all the way back is a horse that Saturday might be the first time I ever got him right, and we, we went out on a we went out on a winning note. I thought he'd have a, a, a good positive ride throughout. He ends up getting uh, you know chasing the big long shot outlier and just showing the kind of uh, toughness and, and courage in the lane that has marked his career, even on the days when he has uh, kicked sand in my face. I was happy to see him go out a winner. He gets a hundred buyer speed figure and uh, Zandon, the, the big, you know, I, I got to go ahead and just say overbet favorite under the circumstances ends up spinning his wheels. I, I wouldn't hold it against him too much. It looked to me like he wasn't really uh, getting a hold of the, of the goo as it were, but you know, the story of the day was mind control for me. Yeah, totally agree. Um, really easy horse to like a horse that it maybe took me a little bit longer to warm up to than, uh, than a horse with similar profile. But um, I mean, my control really ran hard for a number of years, right? Talking about uh, Regal Glory earlier, but go back to Mind Control's uh, hopeful win in 2019. And he came back, of course, with a, a series of really good efforts in 2020, including a win in the, uh, in the Allen Jerkins. And he's a horse who just always had a nose for the wire. You know, he knew where the finish line was and, and uh, did so for two different trainers. Um, definitely not the type that you wanted to get into a street fight with. You know, if there was a, the proverbial foxhole horse, this is the horse that you wanted in the foxhole with you because he was always going to find a way to win. And, and you kind of knew 
that the only way for him to go out was to take on a rival on either side of him down the stretch and just turn back both of them. And that's exactly what he did. It looked like get her number um, was going to go right by him. It looked like there was a chance that White Barrio could go by him as well. So yeah, really nice to see him go out on, on a winning note. I would assume he's standing at stud somewhere um, in, I don't, maybe a smaller state or maybe even Kentucky won a ton of great ones. Yeah, but um, he's got, he's got, I mean, having that two-year-old grade one is huge. Yeah, I mean, he had a two-year-old grade one, he had a three-year-old grade one, he had a five-year-old grade one, yeah. you know, and he's got a decent pedigree. I know it's a very John Brunetti pedigree, but um, it's not bad at all. So, yeah, hopefully he'll end up at a spot. And, and, I mean, look, if you could breed to him and hope that he passes on half that toughness, it would uh, it would really translate. His trainer knows a thing or two about, uh, about training a stallion as well. So, um, yeah, Zandon was the – disappointment the right word maybe i i don't want to be overly critical of him it didn't look like he loved the slop he also didn't get much of a setup um i do my what i don't like about zandon's performance is that i feel like it might get his connections away from the idea that he is a better one-turn horse i still think he's a better one-turn horse i still think if zandon wins a grade one in 2023 to me it's far more likely to be around one turn and, and I mean, I'm looking at races like the Carter and the Churchill Downs. And I mean, the Met Mile does seem a little far-fetched at this point, but you never know who's still in training for next year. So I'm, that's the bet I would make. Yeah, I, I think because of the slop, and I mean, I just thought visually. You know, it, it didn't look is, comfortable. Yeah, this is soft, but sometimes you just see they're trying and they're just not getting anywhere. Like, that's what I saw from him in the lane. It's not like he was like, just spit it. Like he just didn't, he just didn't seem to be getting over it. So I would definitely think, I mean, you know, it's man, Met Miles ambitious, but who knows who's, you know, in, in this, in the modern game, like who who's going to be with so many horses retiring, like, and, and the fact that he's progressive, you know, he should continue to get faster over the next six months. Like, I can't tell you who I want right now instead of him in that spot. And maybe you get a, get a halfway decent price. I mean, obviously there's a lot that's going to happen between now and then, but I don't, I don't hate that idea at all. And I was just looking and yeah, he, uh, no, no finalized plans yet for the stallion career of mind control, but that's expected. It actually said they expected to be announced this week. So even while we're recording, we could, we could have that info. Anything else in here worth, uh, worth deconstructing out of, out of this race? I mean, did, uh, White Barrio surprise you at all? Did any anybody you're looking to bet going forward? No, I, I wasn't terribly surprised by his effort. I thought he'd run well, and he did. Um, I thought they'd probably be a little bit more aggressive with him and try and put him on the lead and, and kind of back things down. It'll be interesting to see who ends up in some of these big races next year. You know, obviously, long term, you'd think the Met Mile is a big goal for a horse like Cody's Wish, who's coming back as a four as a five year old. Um, I don't believe Cyberknife is coming back as a four-year-old. If he did, you would imagine he'd be in a race like that, having run in the dirt mile. So, yeah, it's going to be, you know, Elite Power won the Breeders' Cup Sprint. So it's like there aren't a lot of good one-turn horses out there. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see how things kind of, of shake out. I, I'll be intrigued to see what route Bob Baffert goes with a horse like Taba after the Malibu. Obviously, he's going to run in Saudi being owned by Amr Zidane. But then, you know, if he's back in the fold, you could probably see him in a race like the Met Mile, um, a race that uh, I, I think Baffert can run horses in New York now. I can't keep up with it. But, yeah, um, but yeah I mean, it, it's going to be long range. It's tough to envision. Um, you know, this point last year, we were hoping that Flightline was as good as we thought so that we could maybe see him in the Met Mile. And that worked out okay. 
Yes. Yeah. It'll be, you know, this is the kind of stuff we'll be following all winter long, looking ahead, um, trying to give tips at the weekend, trying to find folks some winners and have some interesting conversation. You mentioned Cody's wish. Cody Dorman was here. Um, got, uh, uh, was presented an award at the, at the luncheon ceremony and they replayed that amazing NBC clip. And man, if that, if that doesn't tug at your heartstrings, I don't know what will have you, you, you saw that piece. I'm sure. Oh my God. I sent it to my mother. I sent it to my wife. I, we watched it at home and I, I, you know, I, I was, was teary and yeah, I mean, it's a very, very easy story to get behind. And, you know, I think what probably, what I found to be the most intriguing thing is that, you know, at, at the core of all of this, and I tell people this all the time because, you know, oh, you're a gambler. You like to gamble. You like to gamble. You like to gamble. I love horses. You know, you love horses. The, the idea that people who primarily bet on racing don't love horses is wrong. You know, and so I think we have a we we specifically have an appreciation for horses and their abilities that few other people do. I mean, obviously, the ones that take care of them, the ones that ride them, train them, things like that. But, you know, I think it to 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 discredit a horse player's opinion of the horse is a big mistake. And so to see the the relationship between those two and how this, you know, I was explaining to my wife as we watched it, like Cody's wish is an intact racehorse and for him to be that gentle is unheard of crazy so it was incredible it, it was really like uh they were sort of meant for each other yeah if you wrote that as a story i'd be like no you can't. he's not gonna put his head in his lap that's not yeah, no, no, no way no way you, you wouldn't you wouldn't believe it and i mean the thing that just got me every time was the father saying the horse got the legs that the kid didn't Oh, it's amazing. And he was there, Kelly, and he he gave a great off the cuff speech. It was That's really, great. really wonderful. The yeah, great it was, you know, it, yeah, it was, a, he was an easy horse to root for. Now I was, I, I bet him in his debut and, <laughs> and, then, and I still think that junior kind of screwed up the ride, but, <laughs> but, but I'm telling you, I really thought he was good. There was workout report chatter. So I really thought he was good. And then um, I was discussing his, his three-year-old campaign with a person that's relatively popular in, in racing and handicaps on television for, for Naira. And he was telling me how much Cody's wish was not good. And I said, <laughs> I'm telling you, this horse is going to have a good 2022. And I got like, Oh yeah, well, I'll believe it when I see it. So I was even more thrilled that he had as good a campaign as he did. And, um, and, and was really excited to see uh, everything that happened. And, and, you know, being that I am, uh, among other things, an announcer. Big credit to Larry. I thought Larry's call was excellent of the uh, of the, the dirt mile, and um, knowing that NBC was making that a pretty big part of the coverage, um, I thought that was really really appropriate and, uh, and and really well handled. And I thought it was hilarious how they they panned back to uh, to Ahmed and uh, and Randy and Jerry, and they were like a puddle, yeah. you know. Which well, you, you couldn't help but it, you know, you couldn't. You couldn't help but uh, but have a you know a, a tremendous sense of appreciation for everything that that little boy has gone through, his family, and how you know that horse pretty much, yeah, like the like his father said, has the legs that he doesn't. If you don't know what we're talking about, go to YouTube, Watch find it. the video. Yeah, it's yeah. it's uh, it's special, and it's and it's even the nastiest, most hardened horse player with no heart that did bet on him in his debut, like I did, and was pissed about the ride. You're still gonna feel good about this horse winning on uh, on Breeders' Cup Saturday. It may, it may get dusty in there. It may get dusty. A little, yeah. 
Um, yeah, there's more panels downstairs. So I'm going to cut this a little bit short, Nick, but I appreciate you uh, coming on today, looking back at these races. We've got a bunch of fun stuff coming up this weekend, special coverage of Hong Kong International. Uh, we've got, we're going to be doing, um, we, we got a, got a whole bunch of stuff. It's going to stay busy all, all winter long. And uh, we just appreciate everybody's support and the, the comments and engaging on Twitter. You can follow Nick at NTAM1215. I'm at Looms Boldly, um, the horse that's going to win the Rego Park. At least I hope he is anyway. Um, but but yeah. oh, very true, yeah. We're hoping. We're we're see, we're seeing. We're, he's apparently doing all right. You know, we'll see. We'll see. I heard you went light on the taco tour, and if Manny can't do it, you're going to be out there. Uh, you got the mount. <laughs> if it was elephant racing, I'd have a chance, Nick. But horses, <laughs> I wouldn't do that to them. I, you mentioned we care about horses. I wouldn't do that to the poor beast. I'm telling you, all I wish is that they somehow get him out of New York for a start down at Sam Houston, because I've got so many looms boldly plays on words ready to roll. <laughs> If they start carding New York Red Bulls. Boldly past the paddock bar. Looms boldly <laughs> past the taco tour. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. All right, Nick. Thank you again. We'll thank our founding partners, including the owners of uh, Looms Boldly, 10 Strike Racing. We always love to root for the purple and black around here. Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. Um, the Hay Drive was a tremendous success, by the way. They met their full matching grant. We had a lot of listeners getting involved. People got involved in those last few bottles of whiskey, but um, there's still some end of year goals that they're looking to get sorted out. And if you're looking to make some charitable contributions at the end of the year, um, you could, you know, you could donate stock as well. There's other things you could do. Kim Weir will talk you through all of it. If you want to reach out to her over at uh, trfinc.org. Um, but really the best link trfinc.org slash players. If you have any questions about giving and donations uh you can reach out to me too i'll put you in touch with kim she'll help you get uh, get sorted out as i said most of all we appreciate all of you the listeners for making these shows so much fun to do that's going to do it this show's been a production of in the money media our business manager is breeders cup betting champion drew Cotney. our chief creative officer is jonathan kinchin i'm peter thomas fornatel may you win all your photos <laughs> <laughs>